HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Brooklyn Slate Company, a manufacturer of slate cheese boards, coasters, and other fine items. For more information, visit brooklynslate.com. I'm Chris Kuzmi. And I'm Mary Izette. From Fomentabody. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to the food scene. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel, here today with Liz Gutman of Little Bit Sweets. This is one of my favorite times of the year, and I know people are like, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. Why are you thinking about the holidays? But what I adore about the holidays is making candy, making sweets. I don't really have a sweet tooth, you know, throughout the rest of the year, but it's it's during that that stretch of kind of Thanksgiving to New Year's where I, I get my fill for the year. Mm. My wife's going to object to that. She's like, no, you sneak sour candy all year <laughs> round. True, true. But a little bit sweet is near and dear to my heart when it comes to uh, holiday candy making. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, we, as it, as it happens, we love making candy too. Yeah. And also, Thanksgiving is a holiday. Yeah. I'm just putting it out there. Totally. What, what candies are Thanksgiving specific though? Um, I mean, I always associate anything with pecans maybe it's just because of pecan pie um but we do just for the holidays we do a uh, pecan brittle with brown sugar it's so good and the secret to brittle is um you add you add a little baking soda at the end to lighten it up a bit but we also stretch it we let it cool for a bit and then we lift it up a little bit and stretch it as it cools so it's extra thin and it's not like blocky and dense and sticky and gets in your teeth it's an extra step and it's more work but it's a hundred percent worth it see the hand motion that you were making stretching it you know Mm -hmm. that people can't see um handmade i mean that's (laughs) the most amazing thing because i've seen uh, i actually worked next to a neko factory when i was in massachusetts um i think they specifically made tootsie rolls or something of that sort Mm. um so maybe it was a tootsie roll factory the guys would come out covered in goo and it was so unsightly (laughs) 
but at the same time, I'm like, do you guys have any candy? Have you? <laughs> but it was all mechanized. Um, sure. And what Little Bit Sweets focuses on is the small batch handcrafted. Yeah, we, it's not a factory. It's a kitchen. Uh, you know, it's, we employ people who know what they're doing, who are highly skilled, who have been to culinary school or worked in food and um, know what they're doing and like what they're doing. I mean, that makes a big difference. Um, it sounds really cheesy, and I guess it is, but I really do think that when you put love into what you're doing, it it turns out differently. Um, you know, maybe not quite as literal as like water for chocolate, but <laughs> but I do think you get different results when you're having fun than if you're yeah. just like punching a clock and, you know, pulling brittle, I guess. <laughs> The lint chocolate commercials that, I mean, they happen all year round, but specifically during the holidays of someone tempering chocolate on marble the and guy, looking very serious. The model chef. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that that was performative in a way that you aren't. You're performative in a way, and I'm not, yes, I am beginning to allude <laughs> to your potential acting career. Um, you know, you, you want to associate a candy maker with someone who is fun and, you know, overt and, you know, enjoyable to be around and you walk into the shop and they're like, oh, here, have enjoy. Yeah. Um, did that play into a little bit sweets or was that always instilled in you? Yeah. I mean, we like to say that we take our techniques and our ingredients really seriously, but we don't take ourselves that seriously because after all, it's just candy at the end of the day, you know? And that's something that we kind of felt was missing when we started the business. And part of the impetus for starting the business was to inject a sense of fun back into candy because there are so many, oh, serious, sepia-toned, folded arms, chefy people doing, you know, and doing amazing work um, with, you know, particularly bean to bar chocolate is obviously kind of the most explodey, um, part of that sector. But in terms of actual candy, we just, we love having fun and laughing. And I mean, obviously not every day in the kitchen is like that. And running a business is a huge pain in the ass, but, um, <laughs> but we'll sweep that under the rug. Now. Sure. We don't need to, do. don't <laughs> need to know about. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but fun is, is a huge part of what we do. I mean, it's called lit a bit, you know, it's, we we don't take ourselves that seriously. Which is a mispronunciation of your name. That's correct. You can thank my brother for that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you grew up with certain candies that, that perpetuate throughout your life. Mine are always sour candies. I've always had that tendency. Um, being a Cali girl, mm -hmm. uh, specifically, you know, in that OC region, <laughs> was there a plethora uh, of certain candies that everyone kind of hoarded and loved? Well, I ha you know, I mean, C's candy is kind of the big one um, that I grew up. That was kind of the special treat, you know, aside from anything you get in the drugstore, which is whatever. <coughs> um, C's was kind of, you know, they had, they had one at the mall. Um, so when we would go, had to go shopping for whatever. And at the, you know, at the end of the trip, if we'd been good, we got to go to C's. And what I love about C's and, you know, it's, they're obviously really old school and have the heritage on their side. Um, and they do use some artificial flavors and stuff, but in terms of what they do, and it is very old fashioned, their quality is super high and they maintain that. Um, and they make all their own stuff and they treat their workers really well too. And that's. The co the combination of that and the way you are treated when you walk in a store with, you know, I mean, we're not quite able to give free samples to everybody who walks in, but someday we'll get there. Um, it's just such a welcoming, friendly um, environment. And that's something that we do really strive to recreate both, um, you know, with our employees who represent us um, and just the working environment that we try to foster at the kitchen. 
you know, coming to New York, you did initially want to be an actress. That's true. I mean, Busted. You, you may still want to be an actress today. <laughs> I'm not saying that dream is dead, but <laughs> there was this uh, change where you said, you know, I, I want to do something else. And mm. you went to ICC. You got to work with wonderful, crazy man, Will Goldfarb. Um, why that path? Why, why that kind of redirection? Well... So the way that happened was um, I graduated from NYU in, with a degree in theater and had, you know, was sort of auditioning, but sort of not. And um, I actually I did do some voiceover work. I mean, that's the only paid acting I've ever done, uh, but I never sought it out. It just kind of came to me. Um, and I was working at an office job that was really depressing. Um, my job was literally to watch commercials all day and write trivia questions about them. I did that for two years, and it was I, I went totally insane. I was just like, something has to change. And I'd kind of thought about doing food as like a you know a, a career change. And at the time, I was in a relationship with a guy who was super into food. And as I cooked more at home, I was like, okay, this is really fun, and I really liked the satisfaction you got from making something with your hands, um, which is what led me to ICC. But even before I did that, um, it just so happened that a college friend of mine was friends with his brother. And she was like, oh, I'm friends with Will Goldfarb's brother. I bet I could get you to meet him. And that was how um, we ran into each other at a a play that the brother was in. And Will is I'm still terrified of him. I mean, (laughs) I I worked for him for maybe three or four months, even before I was in pastry school. And I was like, what the fuck did I get myself into? He was, I learned a lot from him, but I was so scared of him all the time. He's intimidating because he speaks another language that nobody else speaks. Okay. And can I even tell you, he would put, um, he would write down recipes for me to make. Partly in English, partly in Spanish, and partly in French. And I would have to kind of figure out what was what and what... And, and, you know, I had no experience going into that job, which I think made it much worse. Mm -hmm. Now I could handle myself a lot better and be like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to take your shit or whatever. But at the time, I was just like, okay, yes, sir. Uh Um, You you couldn't have found someone more polar opposite than Ronnie. I mean, Ronnie Sue is, oh, God, is yeah. such a dear and such a mentoring person. Yeah. Um, how did you find yourself working with her as an assistant chocolatier? You know, I used to live on the Lower East Side, and I just wandered in one day. Um, you know, I, I went to Essex Street Market to get produce and um, meat sometimes, and I was like, oh, this little chocolate shop just opened up cool, and bought some stuff from there, and I was like, wow, this is really good and really different from anything I've ever tried. And I was in school at that point, so I said, uh, do you need an intern? She was like, yeah, <laughs> Free labor? Yeah. Sure. I'll take an intern right now. Totally. Anyone, call, call Jack and say, you'll be my intern. Uh, we also take interns. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that I just literally walked in and said, I want to work for you. And she said, okay, great. And, um, and that was really, um, I think, kind of the first inkling I got that, A, working in a kitchen doesn't necessarily have to be like scary and stressful, which is not for everyone. I mean, I knew from, from early on that I was never going to cook on a line and I was never going to do, you know, I didn't want to work service. I, my, my personality is not suited to it. Um, but working with chocolate particularly is something I found very soothing and very rewarding and, um, really, uh, fed that creative side that, that I had been wanting to fulfill all those years. And as you say, Rhonda's the, the sweetest, 
nicest, most supportive person ever. The the business absolutely wouldn't exist without her. We started out, um, you know, I would come in early to work to do a few things for the business before I started my shift. And she, you know, let us do that. She allowed us to tack our orders on to her wholesale orders before we were able to set up accounts for ourselves. Um, she's been enormously helpful and continues to be a, a really uh, a good friend and a mentor to us. She's one. I don't know if it was some psych- like psychological a game that she would play, but had that little bowl of bacon caramel corn out and you could sample it and she'd be like really happy and glowing and chat with you. And you'd almost feel bad walking away that like, I just took some free product from this nice woman in the Essex market. You'd march right back and buy a bag. (laughs) And I'm like, good for you, Rhonda. She's a smart lady. She knows what she's doing. And her stuff is legit too. Have you had the pretzel, the pretzel coated, um, the beer caramel coated pretzels oh, with yeah. the mustard seeds. Oh no, god. I have not had that. Oh my god, get those! It's Martin's, the Martin's pretzels, yeah. but crushed up, and they're coated in like a crunchy caramel, like a caramel corn, with, with mustard seeds. Oh my god, I cannot stop eating that stuff. But I have crazy fillings, and it's really bad for me. Yeah, because it's super crunchy. Oh, it's ridiculous. Fillings though. for a candy maker. I mean, it's like <laughs> trusting a bald barber. I think it's 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 a good thing. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Sure, why not? So in 2009, when you founded Little Bit Sweets uh, with Jen King, mm-hmm. I mean, what what the heck were you trying to do? Oh, God. I, I do, what have I you don't... done to yourself? <laughs> we're still asking ourselves that question. No, I mean, I, I say, and I'm only half joking, that we got into this accidentally. I mean, it was intended to be a side project. We just wanted to, you know, I was working at Ronnie Sue. Um, I loved that job. I loved working for her. Um, Jen was basically running a pastry kitchen in a high-end restaurant in Midtown. And we just, you know, you, you slam the same stuff out day after day. It gets kind of boring. And we, had, you know, we're kind of fresh out of school. And we're like, we want to come up with our own recipes. So we just thought it would be fun to try, you know, selling some stuff, see if people liked it, make a little extra cash on the side. Um, so we applied to the Brooklyn Flea, which was totally new at that time. They just finished their first season because we'd seen that uh, Mass Brothers was there and Nunu um, and Whimsy and Spice were there. So we said, okay, this seems like a good venue to kind of start as a young, you know, like, I mean, we we didn't even consider ourselves a company at that point. But once we got accepted there, everything moved really quickly. We had to file paperwork and get a license to sell and all of that stuff. So we didn't really know what we were getting into at all. It just... um, you know the rea- the response was just so big that it sort of swallowed us up, and we it's, it was all we could do to just kind of hang on for the ride. You know, I love that idea of professional hobbyist. And then you have to get to that oh shit moment, like oh my god, th- this is actually happening. We're not a phenomenon anymore. We're a verifiable business. Yeah, well, and that's still. I mean, we still struggle with that and it it was really only within the past year or so that we stopped saying oh well, we're not business people we're chefs and that's not true we are business people we own and run a business um i actually i'm gonna brag a little bit i won a pitch competition last night at the uh the sam adams yeah. pitch speed pitch thing which was so cool and i was like Oh man, yeah, I got this down. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So the, those years of acting actually played into something. Oh, a hundred percent. And I will say that that you know that certainly helped. I mean, Jen and I have been lucky too in that our division of labor is fairly natural. She wants to be in the kitchen making stuff. I want to be out front talking to people about it. So luckily, you know, we have complementary talents and haven't really stepped on each other's toes there. And our third, our we have a um, another partner we took on started as an employee, took her on as a partner this year. Joan Baker is the organized one. 
So she's our she's our ops. She does all the logistics, all the systems, and make sure um, you know Jen and I stay accountable for various things. Yeah, it's necessary to have all those kind of. They don't have to exist in one person, mm-hmm. like, and that's what I think small business owners don't realize at first. You don't have to do everything yourself. Well, at first you do have to do everything yeah. yourself, but then you need to find people who are smarter than you to do the stuff that you're not good at mm-hmm. better than you could do. You got to give up some of that power and delegate, but that's that's hard. It's really hard. It's like prying off you know the the clenched fist it's really really difficult but once you start doing it you're like okay i can do this and you know it starts to feel better you get as long as you get quality people in i mean and that's hard too it's not there's no magic bullet you know it's just you just keep hustling well we're gonna take a quick break come back talk more candy caramels candy bars honeycomb and coal awesome you've been listening to the food scene on heritage radio network.org i'm your host michael harlan turkel we'll be right back Today's program is brought to you by Brooklyn Slate Company, a manufacturer of slate cheese boards, coasters, and other fine items. Brooklyn Slate Company is a collaborative effort from Brooklyn graphic designer Sean Tice and Parsons graduate student Christy Hattica. After visiting Christy's family slate quarry in upstate New York in the spring of 2009, the two grabbed a few pieces for use as all-purpose boards back home in Brooklyn and began gifting pieces to friends. The response was so overwhelmingly positive that the two struck out to produce a line of slate products. We encourage you to visit brooklynslate.com for more. You can also get your own Brooklyn Slate care package by becoming a super fan member of Heritage Radio Network. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate for more. I'm Alice Marcus Creek. And I'm Carmen DeVito. And we're the ladies of We, we Dig, Dig Plants. Plants. And today we're asking you to dig deep into your pockets and help us grow this radio station and our podcast and everything that you know and love about us. How do you do it? You go to the heritageradionetwork.org website. You will see a beating heart. It's on every page. And you can give a dollar. You can give $5. You can give whatever $500. $500. $5,000. Just click on the heart, donate, and help support the radio that you love. And welcome back to the Food Scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Durkel, talking a little bit, which could have been Elizabeth Sweets. <laughs> it could have if I had a bigger ego, I yeah. guess. <laughs> um, this book that came out in, what was it, 2012, 2012. which seems eons ago. Oh, God, tell me about it. I mean... <laughs> You'd feel like some candy makers would have these secrets locked away, but you guys divulged everything. Yeah, I mean, again, we... (laughs) Honestly, half the stuff we make is such a pain in the ass that we're just like, yeah, go for it. I mean, and people (laughs) are gonna... You know, it's we, we kind of... If I may be so bold, I didn't see that many beer and pretzel caramels around before we invented that or rather i developed that while i was working at ronnie sue actually Mm -hmm. off of an idea she had for a beer and pretzel lollipop credit where credit is due um you know and since then there have been you know there are a lot of beer and pretzel caramels out there um i mean i still think ours is the best but what are you gonna do it's a great idea i totally get it um you know we're just like i'm sure everyone makes it differently this is the way we make it if you want to go for it go for it awesome and if you 
feel like it's too much work, then just buy some from <laughs> us. Like we're happy to make them for you. Yeah. Um, but we thought it was really a cool idea to kind of let people take a peek into, um, you know, how everything is made because a lot of people who don't know who we are, what we do, um, the way we do things will take a look at some of our products and kind of, you know, um, flinch at the price point, which I totally get. Um, you know, it's not every day that you buy a $9 candy bar or, um, whatever, but you know, we make it basically the same way it's made in the cookbook. Like it's entirely done by hand. Um, you know, at some point we'll get some fancy robot cutting machine or something so we don't have to. Well, I've but... seen your taffy or your caramel. Oh, machine. that guy yeah. has changed our life. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> but um but the candy bars particularly are uh, are incredibly labor intensive and they're delicate and again, everyone who works for us is um, extremely skilled and has been with us. I mean, you know, our newest kitchen staff member has been with us for over three years. Um, so they they really know what they're doing uh, because otherwise it's it's impossible to kind of put those out with any kind of consistency or regularity. So it's it, they each one is kind of a little work of art. Yeah, and you know that's the thing. You visit your storefront or your kiosk at Chelsea Market or storefront in uh, Industry City, um, and you don't necessarily see the labor that goes into things. But you know what you pride yourself in is that everything's sustainably produced, fresh, and superior quality ingredients. Mm-hmm. And what people don't know about that is the vendors that you use. Mm-hmm. I mean, Figgin Ricotta Caramels has Salvatore Ricotta, which is delicious on its own and only improves a caramel, you know, to the nth degree. Right. Um, fresh butter from what? Ronnie Brook. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are so many other people. Trembly Apiaries for Brooklyn your honey. Brooklyn Brewery, Martin's Pretzels, Brooklyn Roasting Company Coffee. And we use Valrona chocolate, too, which is, like, the best. I know, but then you say, oh, we don't care about the chocolate. You do. You really, really do. Well, of course we could. Yeah. did I say we didn't care about the chocolate? I don't know. It's, it's, it's never been the star, necessarily, because you want to show how right. great all the other ingredients can be. Right, but. Right. It's not to say that you're using shitty chocolate. No, <laughs> okay, I know what you mean. Yeah, and yes, I have said in the past, you know, the the chocolate isn't the focal point because it's not um, the you know it's it's there to kind of uh, showcase the center or the caramel or the candy bar or whatever it is. Um, but we had the opportunity to work with Valrona, and um, you know, we kind of jumped at it. And we've actually taught a couple of classes at their school. It's in Dumbo. Um, Which is gorgeous. Is amazing. Oh, my God. I want to live there. It's all just granite and mm-hmm. shiny and brand new everything. Um, they have really other really cool classes, too. But, um, you know, ours are obviously the best. So. Yeah. Well, you guys do have really cool classes. Thanks. And, you know, the thing is, when you say, oh, I work with chocolate, what does that really mean? And I think, like, tempering. Mm. A lot of people don't even know what, what that is. Yeah. Can, can you explain how to actually work with chocolate? Sure. Um, yeah, it's... So tempering, it's not rocket science, but it's very tricky. Um, and it just takes practice to get right. Um, it's really just heating chocolate to a certain temperature and then cooling it back down to a certain temperature while stirring it and or adding already tempered chocolate. Um, one of the classical ways to do that too is by, is the tabling method, which is what you see in the Lint commercials, the very serious chef and the metal spatula on the marble tabletop. But that's, um, <coughs> if you, that's good for smaller quantities of chocolate, but you really have to know what you're doing and it, otherwise you'll make an incredible mess. <laughs> and it's just, it's a hundred percent not worth it. Um, you know, we still hand temper smaller amounts of chocolate for decorations or if we just need to like doctor up some bars. Cause as we dip, you know, some of them will have a hole in it or, you know, need to be fixed a little bit. But, um, for the most part we have a machine that does it because it's 
a pain to do it by hand for large amounts. And eventually, if it's not kept moving like it is in the machine, it'll either set up and then you have a giant bowl-shaped lump of chocolate you have to melt all over again. Um, or you reheat it and it gets out of temper and you have to start over again anyway. So. It kind of looks like a cement mixer, right? Um, it's uh, It's like... Oh, God. What does it look like? It's a big, blocky thing uh, with a bowl that has an agitator at the bottom that spins around and then a spigot that pours into the bowl. So it drains out the bottom and goes up through a complicated series of tubes and then back out through the spigot. So it's constantly in motion. That's the key. Um, Agitation is key to making sure it sets up shiny and glossy and like it's supposed to. Yeah. And see, I always think, oh, I could make one of those at the home, but it seems a little more complicated than not. You can. um, But yeah, again, it's it's mostly practice makes perfect and chocolate's expensive. You know, we recognize that, Um, especially good chocolate and chocolate that you can temper. Like you can't temper chocolate chips. Um, Those have stabilizers and stuff in them that once you melt it, uh, it just turns into kind of a big glob and you can't really do anything with it. So you have to use, um, you know, you either have to buy a few candy bars uh, or, uh, sorry, chocolate bars or, um, you know, I think Trader Joe's has like the big blocks yeah, the, of the Ghirardelli blocks, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And chop that up. Um, or there are places online you can buy it now. World of Chocolate is a really good one. Um, but it ha- it has, you know, it can't just be any old whatever chocolatey thing. Um, but in the book, we actually have a recipe for cheaters chocolate. Um, that's uh, well, you can you can check out the book if you want the recipe for it. But it's you don't have to temper it, basically. Um, and we also actually did. Man, we've done so much stuff. <laughs> we did. Do you know Craftsy? Um, oh yes, yeah. We did a class for Craftsy last year too. That is like chocolate one hundred and one. So. If you, you know, already have the book or you want to see both Jen and I are very visual learners. Mm -hmm. So we thought it was so cool to have the opportunity to show people like this is what chocolate looks like when it's tempered. This is what chocolate looks like when it's not tempered. This is how you can tell the difference. Seeing it makes such a big difference and makes it a lot less intimidating. Yeah, I I think think. like the first time you interact with a well-tempered chocolate, even doing things like enrobement, Mm -hmm. the first time you do enrobement, like, well, that just got everywhere. That's not going to do anything. And you see it set on something. You're like... Oh, I just made something beautiful. Yeah. It's kind of magical. I mean, that's what I love about it anyway. I want to talk about all your candies just because you were kind enough to bring them, you know, here. Um, And I'm doing my best not to kind of tap into this right yet. (laughs) Because once I start eating your caramels, I can't stop. Like I polish off a bag. What makes them so damn good? Um, It's all the hard drugs we put into them. That's what I thought. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm tripping balls right now. Um... No, it's, I mean, again, we're, we're really picky. I mean, that's, that's a big part of it. Um, you know, you say you, uh, you don't have much of a sweet tooth. I do. Jen, my business partner does not. So she's extra picky and she's the one coming up with all the recipes. So she's extra, extra picky about exactly what texture, what flavor, how it looks, what everything should be like coming out of our kitchen. And if it's if we don't love it, if we don't eat it, and we're like, oh my God, this is so good, then we don't sell it because why bother? I mean, you know, the stuff that we make is so special and um, it's not it's not meant to be like horfed down without thinking about it. I mean, you know, there are candy bar companies that build entire ad campaigns around like have us as a snack no don't have our candy as a snack please have it as a piece of candy you know that was really that was the drive behind re-engineering a candy bar was that we found that the experience of eating a candy bar was so far removed from what we had experienced as kids when you 
you know, you get to pick out one treat and it has to be just the right one. You're like, do I want that one? Do I want this one? And you make the decision and you sit in the car and you unwrap it and you take that first bite and you're just like, yes. It's just you and the candy bar. I actually was thinking about this during Halloween and seeing the volume in, in you know, amount of candy that children get. And you see Mars and Nestle and Hershey's and it's just a dime a dozen. You know, it, yeah, it, it doesn't feel, yeah, it, truthfully, and it yeah. doesn't feel special. But then I look at things like, not to say Haribo is a more expensive brand, but when I when I get a pack of Golden Bear and know I'm not sponsored by them, <laughs> you know, it feels, <laughs> like a, it feels like a special purchase. Yeah. Or I was in Japan last year and all the Meiji, you know, all the, you know, very intricately decorated and beautiful boxes. I mean, you feel like you're getting something more than just a snack, like you're saying. Totally. Well, and, and there's a whole, you know, there's a whole spectrum of that, too. I mean, there are certainly shades of gray in between, like, mass-produced candy bar and what we do. Um, I mean, I guess C's is a good example of that. Um, and because I'm always happy to get C's candy, too. It's like, it's not like you all, you can only eat really fancy candy or you're a garbage person. Like, it just, you know, when you get our stuff, it's for a very specific you know, reason because you want the tastiest caramel, the most indulgent chocolate bar, the, you know, the most crunchy bacony bacon popcorn, um, because we're super anal retentive about making sure everything is, is high quality. And because we treat our customers like royalty. I mean, if anyone ever has a problem with anything, like they, I'm the first line of defense, like, Info goes straight to me. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, I make it a a priority to make sure everybody walks away happy no matter what. Um, So we really pride ourselves on that, too, because, you know, people work really hard for their money. And if they spend it on something that, for whatever reason, they're not um, in love with, then I want to make it right. That's why you give them coal. (laughs) <laughs> well, they they get that for themselves. Yeah. But that's no, actually that was our employee Michelle's idea to put the dark chocolate honeycomb in a coal bag. Genius. Total I mean, genius. It, honeycomb candy. Uh, can we talk about this for a second sure. because you know, you you do kind of reinvent certain candy bars, the PB&J, um you know, riffing on the sandwich itself, you know, the king and ode to Elvis, mm-hmm. lime in the coconut, you know, part mounds, part that song from Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> um but honeycomb is just so nostalgic to a lot of people and we actually made it my wife and i for the holidays a handful of years back nice i I believe from your book too nice um and everyone flipped half the people didn't know what it was other people like holy shit i haven't had this since my grandma used to give this to me yeah yeah it's um that's actually that used to be my specialty when i was spending more time in the kitchen um i love making honeycomb candy it's so dramatic yeah um, and you feel like such a badass when you're making it you're like yeah that's right i made this because it looks like it's complicated and fancy it's really not it's tricky again it's tricky and it took me forever to figure out exactly how to get it perfect every single time um but i think we do a really good job i mean that's the thing in the book we go really into incredible detail in the instructions to make sure you know you know we don't just give you a time we tell you what it should look like, what it should feel like, the consistency, you know, if it's been this long, but it doesn't look like this yet, keep it going for a bit, you know, to to make sure you have as much information as you need to be able to make it turn out right the first time, hopefully. And make sure um, you have a pot three times the size, because when you throw that sodium oh, yeah. bicarbonate in, it just 
Oh, it's so impressive. Yeah, though, right? it is magic. But then you're like, this is so awesome. Then it goes all over the stove, and you're like, oh, mm, not yeah, fun to clean. Yeah, I should have read those instructions a little bit further. Yeah, read read the recipe first, man. Yeah. Um, what I love too is all the different names for it. Apparently, it's big in Buffalo, where it's called sponge candy. But I've also heard fairy food, ambrosia, sea foam, hokey pokey, bolsters. Uh, I think that's it. I can't think of any more. But uh, every once in a while, a customer will be like, oh, love food. That was another love one. Love food. They're like, we call it this where I'm from. And I'm like, I love it. There's just a million different names for it. See, now now I'm waiting for a candy trivia question to come out. Mm. You know, having watched all those commercials. Right. <laughs> We've been working on a candy bingo game. So yes. maybe once I get that done. The real Candyland. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Be I amazing. love it. Well, you know, if people have a sweet tooth or they don't and want to be converted a little bit is the way to go um and the flagship store which is at industry city which is a fascinating place in it of itself i think everyone should stop by there and see that food hall which i think is just collecting such great artisans at the moment yeah and it's it's a little underrated maybe because people think it's inaccessible but it's not I mean, it's a very easy place to stop by, yeah. and uh, you guys are a big, big reason to do so. Thank you. I, I certainly hope so. Yeah, it's two blocks from the Express Subway. It's really easy to get to. So everyone should be making candy or stopping by for candy. Yeah, uh, or going to littlebitsweets.com. That's it. That's the easiest way to that's do it. That's the easiest way to do it. We'll, we'll, we'll deliver it right to your door. And by we, I mean the um, carrier of your choice. Yeah. <laughs> and if, if anything happens, you know you're emailing Liz directly. Yeah, Liz, Liz <laughs> at littlebitsweets.com, everyone. I, I look forward to your onslaught of angry holiday emails. Well, happy holidays. Happy holidays Happy holidays, whatever you say. Sure. Quite the stretch. And uh, thanks for being on. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Michael Harlan Turkel. Hoping to have you back here next Tuesday at 3. Big shout out to Brooklyn Slate for sponsoring. As always, music by Cookies. And to our man in the studio, Jack Inslee. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.